1: Hello everybody, welcome along. It's a cricket budget podcast with a slight difference today. You've been watching our England against India test match dailies and talking about all things the test matches we've done the IPL we're going about to start to the second half of the IPL as well but every now and again on the uh, Cricket Badger podcast we break away and we actually talk to people about what they're up to their love of cricket and uh, in Tom's case we'll introduce introducing just a second his career um, outside of cricket as well but Tom Holland historian TV presenter radio presenter author loads <laughs> of there's a long list how are you? I'm very well, thanks. And, and great to be here. Very, very grateful to be on. And, uh, and charity, Walker, and uh, benefit yeah. year this, this year as well. It's a one-off, but yes, this year. Well, let's, let's talk about that because it's, it's the author's um, cricket team, isn't it, that you, you play for and you, you've been right. awarded the benefit for. And this is a, quite a long-standing cricket team, isn't it, who basically are a set of writers that get together. And play cricket.
0: Well, it goes all the way back to Arthur Conan Doyle, um, PG Woodhouse, Jerome K. Jerome, J.M. Barry. So, really, you know, really major names. They're big paths to fill, aren't they? Or whatever. Really, well, Conan Doyle famously got uh, W.G. Grace out. It'd be a terrible poem about it. I don't have it to hand, which is probably just as well, because anyone who likes poetry would flinch, I think, and go pale at
1: the sound of it. Did did W.G. Grace walk, or did he say this, the public have come to see me like he tended to? He's already scored 100. Ah, well, yeah. I've never never had that luxury in my own cricket career to be able to... uh, so the, the heyday was before the First World War,
0: and then obviously the First World War put a bit of a dampener on things. And it's it's been the authors have been refounded sporadically ever since. Recent incarnation, they were founded in um, twenty eleven. So uh, we've all been playing for about ten uh, for for a decade, which of course is is after a decade, you you're eligible for a, for a, um, a benefit. So that's what I've been awarded. Um, very exciting Um, and basically of course you know normally a bet you know benefit for county player you have matches and it's it goes to the county player in my case the money is going towards three homelessness charities
1: i really like that as well tom because i it, before i got into working in cricket about 2005 2006 i was actually a housing officer for a local authority changed career completely um i worked with homeless people and uh, and i think it's said to you know talk to us through the three causes and and while you're doing that i'll flash up the links so that people give to your uh, your benefit so the first one is the passage which is um
0: a very established homelessness charity um works across the board Um, The second one is um, it's a project under the umbrella of St. Martin the Fields, which is the church just off Trafalgar Square in the middle of London that has a a kind of incredible track record of of helping the homeless. And what what this project is, it's a help specifically for women who are long term homeless to give them a space that is women only so that they, they can have kind of long term shelter and not kind of worry about the things that come from, you know. Yeah. not you in a women-only centre. Um, and the third one is, is um, a slight change of emphasis, and it's a, 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 a charity that's helping the Yazidis, who are a religious minority in Iraq, that were horribly targeted for persecution by the Islamic State in 2014, um, uh, when the Islamic State invaded and, and conquered a large stretch of northern iraq and they um they massacred the men they captured often crucified them and they um uh, i mean they literally enslaved women and girls as young as eight took them off into into slavery sex slavery every kind of slavery you could imagine and although the islamic State has been defeated um there's still a lot of the scars of this are terrible, and and their homes have been absolutely destroyed. So they're still in refugee camps, um, and I, I made a film about them that's five years ago. And so they they live in my memory like that. And when I was out in Iraq, it was it was kind of very hot, and I was. I, I visited one of them their main settlement where the Islamic State were a couple of miles away across open ground. And we went to visit a, a place where a whole group of women had been shot. So their bones were, were were littered everywhere. And I kind of the thought of playing cricket came into my mind as something to cling on to amid all the horror and the bleakness of this. And so when I came back, I the converse of that was that I would try and keep them in my mind when I was playing cricket. So that's very much been the inspiration for this is keeping in mind people who, you know, I, I just feel so lucky playing cricket, and particularly for the authors. We play such wonderful, wonderful places um, that it's just a way of, of hopefully trying to get some money off the back of that, that we can help with people who are, who are much less fortunate.
1: Anybody watching the podcast? There's the there's the link, and I'll stick it on the link for the uh, people that uh, listen to this later on the audio. Uh, you laughed when I said the traditional audio platform because podcasts haven't been around for long. But <laughs> so traditional is all relative, I guess, isn't it? This is what the problem. One of the problems with kind of making a reference like that to a historian, I guess, because your your um sort of length of time stretches a lot further back. Well, I, I do a podcast
0: as well uh, called The Rest Is History. And we did one last week where we interviewed Mark Andreessen, who is an absolute kind of tech titan. He basically invented the web browser. He's on the board of Facebook, all kinds of things like that. And he was talking to us about the the history of Silicon Valley, which I think is really interesting. I mean, it's recent history, but it's seismic history. And by the end, you know, the discussion of history had become a discussion of the future. And this is absolutely, you know, what
1: historians look at. I've had that conversation a lot with people about how things just in my lifetime have moved on. When, when i was a kid there were 3 channels on the television um i think we we're about the same age actually but there were about 3 channels on the same television we got channel 4 that was a major event now there's there are hundreds of tv channels Te- you know we, we can we can do this and we can talk to each other and broadcast live via our laptops and, and what have you. Yeah. Things are just crazy. I mean, what, what's it going to be like in 30, 40 years' time? It's, it's scary almost. I imagine we'll have kind of chips embedded in our hair and we'll just be able to kind of blink, <laughs> see everything, scroll in front of us. Yeah.
0: But I, was, I was kind of thinking that uh, about the, um, the, uh, the lack of television coverage this summer, because mm. one of the things I felt this summer about cricket and the international cricket and the domestic cricket was I had absolutely no sense at all of the structure of it. Uh, it it had completely blurred I didn't know when the tests were you know what the hundred what I mean it was all just a complete mess and I, I remembered how structured the season was when I first got into cricket in in 81 and through the 80s that you knew that you know when the one-day matches would be when the tests would be when the the county finals would be what the championship structure was, and it's it seemed to kind of reflect the fact that there was really a BBC, and even though it was really annoying, and it would be, you know endlessly be going off to racing or whatever, it did kind of anchor you. You kind of knew where to look. Whereas now, I feel like you know a kind of a boy in a sweetie shop, and I just don't know where to begin. There's mm. just too, almost too much choice; is too great.
1: Yeah, no, I think you're right, and I think I mean the premise of the hundreds which I'm not a big fan of. Um, but the premise of the hundred, in terms of attracting a new audience, I think the, what you've just said there—the foundation of attracting a new audience—is give them a landscape they can actually get their heads around. And at the moment, it is all a bit scattergun. And the easy be admitted, I think this summer that they uh, the fixtures needed to be a little bit more coordinated. crickets a game played with balls you've got to look after them in the field badges are furry creatures my friends at manscape.com help oh, you make sure it's neat and tidy down there oh get rid of all that excess fur make sure that you're neat and tidy make sure everything's in the right order oh I'm feeling all good now down in this set oh manscape.com Let's get, let's get on to your, your cricket walk that you did. You did it on uh, Monday, the 23rd of August, if you kept to your schedule on that yeah. one. Um, and you basically, you, you walked, was it 55 miles? Was that... 55 miles in 24 hours. Yeah, was... and you you basically took in some notable landmarks that were kind of cricket-related as you went went along that walk. Yeah, so it was a, a kind of, yes, it, so it was a
0: cricket-themed. It was a, a walk through cricket's history. And so we began... At Bramley Which is a village Outside Guildford
1: I imagine that you sat down And thought What am I going to do For this benefit year How am I going to raise some money And the cricket walk Through cricket's history That kind of combines The two things nicely doesn't it? Well we've done various things So we've done
0: um, We've done kind of Evening events on Zoom When we were still Under lockdown And quizzes And and all kinds of things Like that And we've done auctions But we did we, We also We did a walk earlier So I think in April Where we walked from A cricket ground At one end of the M25 to the other end so we began I can't remember so cricket ground directly above the M25 it's kind of amazing tunnel goes underneath it and then to the other end to Chertsey which is where the middle stump was first used we went via Lords uh, Craven Cottage and Twickenham so there was kind of sports theme there but then this time we focused just on the cricket and we discovered that that you know, we we made lots of we, we, we raised a lot more sponsorship doing the walks than almost anything else. So that's why we wanted to do a second one. And we'd always thought it would be brilliant to do one that where we looked at, you know, we visited some of the sites of grounds that have played key role in the history of cricket taverns where various lords had met up to draw up rules, all that kind of stuff. Um, famous people had lived that kind of thing. Um, and we, yeah, we kind of looked at a map, <laughs> put the dots and then joined the dots up. Because the previous one was 45 miles in a day. And so we thought we'll go that a little further. We'll do 55 miles in 24 hours. Um, and yeah, and so we went from from um, Bramley, which was where the first recorded women's cricket match took place. And we walked to Lords. But we went, once we'd reached London, we started zigzagging all over the place.
1: The first recorded women's match took place in, was it 1597?
0: 1745. Okay, reported the Reading Mercury, the greatest that was played in this part of England between 11 maids of Bramley and 11 maids of Hambleton, all dressed in white. The Bramley maids had blue ribbons and the Hambledon maids red ribbons on their heads. The girls bold batted, ran and catched as well as most men could do. So there was a, a tone of sexist sport reporting that
1: you probably wouldn't be allowed <laughs> <No>. <laughs> to I was just thinking that as you were reading that, that you wouldn't get Nasser Hussain and Shane Warren introducing TV coverage in the same manner these days, would you? No, I, d- I doubt they'd be wearing pink ribbons. <laughs> that I imagine as a historian, that kind of tickles your fancy in two ways. There, you kind of the love of cricket and the love of history combined as you as you meander around for fifty-five miles. Absolutely. well, the fact that it's the fact that cricket is old, I have to admit, is a real part of the appeal to me. And i but, but I
0: also I like the way that cricket endlessly reinvents itself. So I actually liked the hundred. Because one of the things you realize when you look at the history of cricket and you think about how it's evolved over all these centuries, is that it is a sport that despite its reputation for kind of stuffiness and conservatism, is unbelievably innovative. And I think that one of the measures of that is precisely that today you have all these different formats. Um, I can't think of a comparable sport, really, where players play to the highest possible level in three completely
1: different formats that require very different kind of attributes. Tom these days, is white ball against red ball, it's almost like two separate sports under the same banner, really, isn't it?
0: Yes, and I think, you know, even 50 over in 2020, um, you know, the the mm-hmm. talents and the approach required is very different. And you said you didn't like the 100. I mean, I kind of, I, I watched several matches and... I was just stupefied by the, the level of skill. And then to, to see that kind of transferred back into the Test Arena, I thought, I, I think this is absolutely, you know, I've, I started with a win, but I actually think this is incredible age for cricket.
1: I, I'll tell you very quickly why I don't like it. It's not because of the cricket. It's not because of the actual um, experience of watching the 100. I just think it has a knock-on effect to the rest yeah, of the domestic cricket. I understand cricket. that.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's bad for the counties and it's bad for um, the structure of the season. I also, I'll tell you the reason. My my big gripe against it. You talked about history. There seemed to me an obvious way, but because part of the appeal of county cricket is, of course, that its rooted in history. Mm-hmm. So you've got that sense of, but, you know deeply rooted in these these grounds, the statistics, all, that, all those traditions. So I thought that one way around the whole problem of the fact that franchises don't have that would be to base it on the ancient Anglo-Saxon kingdom. So this was very much my pitch, that um, rather than having whatever it is, the southern braves or whatever, it should be Wessex and you should okay. have the ancient battle flag of the Saxon kings. And you should have Mercia and you should have the Danelaw and you should have Northumbria and all that kind of stuff. And I just thought that was much better. So the way that I got into it was that um, you know if if um, uh, we, we went to see um, the Southern Braves against is it London Spirit the, the Erzatz Middlesex one at Lords. so I thought of it as, as the West Saxons against the men of London and women of London Wick and that really enhanced it for me so I think I think that they missed a trick by not doing that I think it would definitely have got the Anglo-Saxon fans
1: the names were peculiar and, and often controversial I think and they changed a few times before they they settled on the final versions are listening
0: to the cricket badger
1: podcast going back into your career then as a historian i mean obviously at school i imagine history was a subject that enthralled you to some degree but how, how did your career as a historian then develop i mean it's not necessarily something that you know, when kids are at school talking about being trained drivers or or whatever because <laughs> <laughs> i read you know various books and i thought oh i'd love to write that and, and essentially, that's what I've managed to do. So it's kind of a dream come true. We press record, Tom, I was commenting on your bookcase behind you, and then you just tilted your... your um did yeah, so to do that. So I, want to, I want to see the full height of it so that the viewers can actually see just how many books are in your... I mean, you have to scale that to actually hopefully the ones right at the top. You said the ones are right at the top of the cricket books, didn't you?
0: Yeah, they are. They're the cricket books that I probably won't be reading
1: soon yeah you, you um, always need to make as much effort to get those top shelf books as you would to walk 55 miles <laughs> i've got i've got another section of of treasured cricket books which i can sell so it's all very carefully yeah. sorted and arranged
0: yeah well i mean you can't write history without loads of books um, and I was particularly in the library so actually the, the the number of books has swelled considerably
1: <laughs> so I mean where, where do you go then when you finish doing your, your university you got your degree you want to make a career in that how, how does that follow how do you get into history as a, as a job
0: well I wanted to be great I wanted to be a great novelist so I began as a novelist and Um, I I wrote a novel in which Lord Byron was a vampire. So Byron was the model for the first vampire story, and in my version, he really was a vampire. And it kind of did sufficiently well that I got a a deal with both American and British publishers, to do three more it didn't change the world but it gave me just enough to kind of keep going and they were all set in various different periods of history and i just realized that the history was i enjoyed writing about the history much more than i did in kind of making stuff up about vampires vampires had never really been part of my career plan so i I finished that i worked that contract out and then i i I thought well you know i just i'll write a a book about actual history and i did it on the, the the two periods of history that i'd most loved which was the age of julius caesar uh so that was the first i wrote and then the um the the Persian invasion of Greece, which is Marathon, Thermopylae, Salamis, you know, 300 Spartans and Speedos, all that kind of stuff. And you know they, that's essentially how I, I I began I kind of it took me time to work out what it was that I wanted to do. So it's like I guess like kind of you know you focus on red ball cricket and then you discover actually you're a white ball cricketer or something like that. Um, it took me time to work out where I should probably be focusing my attention.
1: I was, I, I was going to ask you a question that would have led you into that really, but if you were on mastermind, what would be your specialist subject? And as a historian, do you have to have a specialist subject, or can you be all years or all, all, all men kind of thing?
0: Well, on mastermind, uh, I don't know what my subject. Is mastermind would be it probably wouldn't be history because you'd want to you'd want to kind of snip things strategically wouldn't you i see. um was it uh, somebody was on doing the career of gower of david gower recently and i thought actually that's quite a good one because that one you can really kind of prepare i guess if it was a historical period it would be the persian wars but there's you know there's a lot of scope there to to get things wrong you know it's it's like you know the more you know about cricket the more you study it the more you're you know if you if you know everything about world cricket you're better qualified to write about english cricket right i mean that's you know or you know if you know about english cricket you're, you, you it's you're better equipped to write about indian cricket or whatever I, I i find the more different periods of history I study, the kind of the more I can write about it.
1: And, and you've done TV documentaries as well. Islam and ISIS, I mean, there's two there that you, you've done for television, which obviously relate around the Muslim faith and the, the history of that area of the world. And I was actually watching one just before we, we started here. I was watching the first 10 minutes of one of your documentaries and just, um, I'll watch the rest of it when we finish. Is that a... a sp- kind of especially subjects, is that something you enjoy or something that really interests you? It presumably it does.
0: See, it, it, in a sense, the, the the fields of history that I have explored have been conditioned by the previous Works and areas. So my great interest was always the classical world, so Greece and Rome. But the more I wrote about them, the more I, I, I'd always had this kind of vague sense that they were basically like us. But the more I I wrote about them, the more I felt these are p- people are unfathomably strange and different and alien. And it's not just a question of kind of translating things that we understand and and, and putting it back in. You know, the, their exact equivalents. They they occupy a completely different mindset. they they're spectacularly odd and. I, I, the more I thought about, well, what is it that changed, the more I, I came to the conclusion that it's basically the emergence of Christianity and Islam. I wrote a, a, about Islam and then I've just written a book about Christianity. And I think that they are just massively, massively transformative in ways that we have now forgotten because we, in a sense, have been changed so deeply by them that we don't even appreciate it. And it's it's the revolutions that kind of succeed that tend to be forgotten. It's the ones that fail that kind of, you know, that we yeah. remember. You know, whether it's in the Muslim world, the Islamic Revolution or in, in, in our world the Christian Revolution so profound that essentially that's what I've I, has become my great focus. What was it about Christianity for instance that means that the ancient world, the classical world that preceded it is now so utterly different to us.
1: I used to think when, I, I mean I did history to A level and I used to think when I was being taught it if I was going to be a teacher probably history would be my subject because once you've kind of got your head around it you're saying the same things year on year as a historian though I I imagine that's not the case it's not like set in stone you are looking back in history you are finding out new things you are developing kind of (laughs) themes there
0: yeah, I, I think I think that um, what tends to be most interesting about the past is the way that it's very different and the effort that's required to appreciate just how different it is. And I think also that... So one of the things that, that interests me about cricket is that we don't actually know where it comes from. And it's, precise, it's, it's it, that, that then becomes kind of part of the appeal. And I think that I've always been very interested in the question of origins and where things begin and how far back can we trace stuff. And it's where... The origin point starts to become blurred or mythical or fabricated or whatever that I find really interesting because that's kind of way you can see, you you see the process by which civilization is made in a sense and it could be you know a sport like cricket or it could be you know, the history of a city like Rome, or it could be the history of a great faith like Islam, that there's a point where the stories that are told of its beginnings are obviously mythical. And the character of those myths are always fascinating to look at.
1: If I was to tell you, you could have three people from history around for dinner. And yes. you, want, you want to have a nice conversation and pick their brains about maybe some of the stuff that you've, you've um, studied in the past. Who would you have around your dinner table? Okay, that's a great question. Um, I would have
0: Herodotus, who is the first historian who writes the history of the Persian Wars, my favourite subject, and whose history I've translated. And who's just kind of infinitely fascinated about everything. I mean, he's interested in, in everything. And so his book is just fascinating. And he's a kind of endlessly curious, endlessly charming guy who I suspect would be great. I'd be quite, who, who would I, I mm, who else would I want? I would want, I'd be quite interested in meeting Lady Castlemaine, Barbara Villiers, who was Charles II's mistress, was kind of famously horrible, but famously charismatic, incredibly entertaining to our, she bitch for England. <laughs> and I think that would be great fun. Uh, and I think I'd have Lord Byron, not least because we, I could talk to him about cricket because he was a a very keen cricketer um, and actually played at Lords below somebody called Shakespeare.
1: Wow. You've got one one place setting left and you're allowed to have one cricketer to come along and join you. He can sit next to Byron and he can basically talk about cricket with this person. live or dead? Um, I think Sangakara.
0: Oh, wow. Incredibly interesting guy uh, who's very charming, clearly very charming, but just very smart and has obviously thought about cricket an enormous amount. Whenever I hear him talk about cricket, I always think, you're a very interesting man. I'd like to hear more.
1: I, the stories I've heard about Kim Sengakara is, is he's actually a, a real gentleman as well, a really nice bloke, as yeah. well as a very intelligent bloke, as well as a very fine cricketer. So I
0: think, he, I think he'd be able to handle Byron, who'd be a massive egotist. Uh, I think he'd be able to handle Lady Castlemaine, who I think would be trouble. Uh, and I, I'm sure he'd get on well with the Herodotus, who would be very interested to talk to him, explain cricket to him. So I think I think that would be a good. I think that would be
1: a really good dinner party. Herodotus, the the writer that you admire and has translated then. are you the modern day version? No, I I, I wouldn't presume. Uh, I
0: mean, I don't think anyone is remotely qualified to be the new Herodotus. But because basically, the new Herodotus is well i mean basically it's wikipedia um (laughs) the thing about Herodotus, he he he's the first person really to write non-fiction so he's he's the origin point for what i do um because he's described as a historian he does tell the story of the you know the persian invasion but but that's to do him down i mean he's interested in everything he's interested in you know why egyptian men peace sitting down and egyptian women peace standing up he's interested in why scythians get stoned out on bongs he's interested in animals he's interested in rivers he's interested in absolutely everything and it's that sense of kind of voracious curiosity that i think would make him just infinitely fascinating
1: well you just said very me actually because i think for most people you think of history as a set of dates or who was king at the time or who was prime minister at a certain time or or whatever there's kind of like signposts in your brain but the some of the stuff that you just mentioned there at peeing standing up and stuff, yeah, you know, it's how things were in those worlds as well, isn't it? The, the, it's, the, it's adding the colour to those dates, isn't it? Well,
0: the thing—I mean, the thing is also with Herodotus, you're never no entirely sure whether what he's saying is true. So he's known as the father of history, but he's also been known as the father of lies. And he does come out. Is that, I mean, is, is that
1: a, um, a marmot behind you? It is. A it's, a. it's quite a famous photograph that. I had um, Philip Brown, the cricket photographer on the podcast recently, and he was looking at that. And he said, oh, James, that's the, uh, the award winning um, photograph from about two or three years ago, isn't it? And I've had it blown up on the canvas. And I always looked at it as two very cute looking animals that were running, sort of like frolicking along. And he said, you, you do realize that in about three seconds' time, the one on the left is going to eat the one on the right, don't you? <laughs> well,
0: so uh, the reason I, w- I asked about that is that Herodotus tells this story about how in India, there's loads of gold. And the way that the Indians get the gold is that um, they go out into the desert. And in the desert, there are giant ants that burrow down. And as they burrow down, they kick up the gold. And the Indians sneak up and grab the gold and then run away, and the ants chase them. And they have to kind of they they cut off uh, you know various animals to, to throw to the giant ants who then eat the the, uh, the thing. And people always cited this as an obvious example of the fact that Herodotus is mad and or making it up or stoned or whatever you know where's he getting this from? The, there is a brilliant theory that actually the Greek word that he's using for ant. There's obviously been a process of Chinese whispers, and that perhaps the original word was a Bactrian word or whatever for marmots that dig underground, scribble, and and dig up gold. And this is the theory, and and it may be true or it may be not. But actually, the thing is that people who sneer at Herodotus for getting this wrong, what's amazing is that he knows anything at all about India, that he's even heard of it, because mm. it's you know it's the far end of the world. This you know the, that's what's amazing about him. He may get things wrong. But what's remarkable and and credible is that he's knows enough about stuff to get them wrong. You know, I mean that's that's the incredible thing that he was
1: trying in the first place to find out. Yes, absolutely. Going back to cricket, then the authors and your place in that side. What 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 are you? Are you a bowler batsman or?
0: So I'm a I'm a bowler. Um, and I'd I'd always run my own team, which was kind of faintly shambolic, and we. We kind of played in a variety of grounds around the M25. They weren't particularly scenic. And I'd, I'd just turned 40 and I was kind of thinking, oh, you know, is it time to retire? Have I probably done enough? And then the authors got revived and it came with a book deal. So it got it was founded by Charlie Campbell. He's an author revived by Charlie. And he sold it to Bloomsbury, who the publishers of J.K. Rowling. So they were absolutely flush with Harry Potter cash. So we got a bit of the the Harry Potter cash. And we were able to... um, So the the device for the book, that it would be a a, a journal of the year, cricket year, and that each author would write about a particular theme focused on a particular ground. So, for instance, we had one about cricket and history and we played at Hambledon. We had one about cricket and beauty and we played in the Valley of the Rocks. So it was that kind of thing. Um, And the one that I did was... We played at Eton against the Eton Thirds and it was about age and youth. And the, f- the very first game we played in Victoria Park and it was kind of grim and I hadn't realised it was an all-weather pitch and I turned up without the proper footwear and skidded everywhere and it was wet and awful and I couldn't, and I just thought, oh, that's terrible, I'm not going to play. But I had to do this second one. And also I wanted to see Eton, I'd never been to Eton. So we went there and again, it was it was 2012 and it was that kind of awful, grey, wet summer Um, I don't even remember before the Olympics it kind of rained almost nonstop, and we got there and there was this kind of low drizzle and we fielded and I opened the bowling and I kind of felt you know I got so badly in the first match that every time I even got it faintly on on the pitch people would kind of applaud me like they you know they might applaud a, a kind of baby not sticking his finger in the socket or something. I mean it was embarrassing. And and they got, I don't know, two hundred or something. I didn't really start with the ball or anything. And and I came off and I thought this is miserable. I'm hopeless. It's all over. I, I don't want to start playing for this. Um and then we batted. I was in at eleven. We uh we were obviously going to lose. We you know, I went in and we still needed 80 to, to win. And this bowler kind of speared it in and i had a massive great smack and somehow it went for six i'd never hit a six before
1: oh this is good this is what I, i've been looking at your wikipedia page and it's yeah the, the most famous six of all time or something It's to yeah, because
0: it was photographed because because this was a, a book we we had a, a we had um nai who was was a professional photographer who followed us around and took photographs and he took three photographs of me hitting the six and i just got onto twitter I didn't really understand it. And I suddenly thought I could just put this out as often as I like. So I would say that since then, there's barely a week where I haven't put out this photograph of me hitting <laughs> a six. And it, and it was so exciting. and I felt so invigorated that it completely restored my enthusiasm for cricket. And so I've <laughs> played for a decade since. Uh, but I would say you know, I've never hit a six since. I've never really, uh, my batting has never really fired. But I have kind of spasms where I bowl fine and then spasms where I bowl terribly. Uh, and it kind of comes and goes. Um, I had a very good start to the season. I got lots of wickets. And then I haven't. I, I think I've got one wicket in the past couple of months. It's kind of been a terrible sequence. And the most recent match was against the Lord's Taverners. I had Matthew Hoggard and all kinds of people. And we somehow we'd, we'd beaten them, I think, three times in a row. So this time they were determined to win. And they needed 24 off the last over, which I bowled <laughs> and they got it oh no <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know that's my last over of the summer so it's going to haunt me all, all winter so um, I'm currently in a shall I retire state of mind at the moment
1: you can, no you can't you can, that can't be the full stop that can't be the full I stop I hope not, I hope not but that's I'm a nice not. draw in though Tom you're going to basically I, be looking forlornly out the window thinking of that over aren't you I'm,
0: well I kind of wake you know I wake up in the middle of the night and think, oh it's just a nightmare oh no it wasn't <laughs>
1: It really happened. He was he was responsible. Oh, some 22-year-old bastard. <laughs> 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 yeah, you know, he was kind of
0: lean and young. And I think he, ah, I think he, there was one guy who'd played for Kenya. And I think this guy was Ma- Minor County. So it's incredibly unfair. I mean, because not only am I 53,
1: but I was never very good in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> so I, could, I cling to that. But, you know, these that, things, these things. Can't, that can't be your last act as a cricketer. It can't be. I'm um, just looking at your your charitable page, l- looking at how much you've earned so far, it's going all right, isn't it? Yeah.
0: I, I, I think north of 60 grand, isn't it? Last time yeah, I
1: Yeah, you've got, um, at the moment, it's currently on 60,260 with the target of being 100,000. So listeners, viewers, you can actually help push that up a little bit closer. <laughs> if we've got 40 grand out there, then it can... I'd it can <laughs> be then, very
0: gratefully received.
1: <laughs> even if it's a fiver anything because um, yeah, they are three very very good causes um yeah homeless charities of various natures that Tom's uh, tom supporting with that and if uh, we can help um on the cricket badger podcast to push that up a little bit further then that's that's fantastic um, well, is I, that
0: i'd like because i'd like to say that that the cricket world
1: generally has been
0: brilliant at this so you know you've got me on podcast we've got these um various videos which is kind of like at the, the top of my twitter feed but there, there were several where um we've got alistair cook jimmy anderson um hoggard caddick various people you know all kind of sending best wishes ian bell um mark butcher uh, so you know fantastic people rallying around kind of an, to an amazing degree and everybody in the office has just been brilliant. I mean, it's because, because although I'm the ostensibly the um, guy who's got the benefit, really it's a, it's a kind of group effort for the authors. You know, we're all doing it and it's, it's, you know, it's something I, 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 I think that um, has
1: given structure to
0: the, uh, aside from the cricket.
1: What's next for, um for you then in terms of your, your historical bent. So you, you, you got any more TV work planned, anything else planned for getting your teeth into? No, I, I I did this last TV
0: one where we went to Northern Iraq and walked around among the bones, and I thought, you know, <laughs> I don't really yeah. want to do this anymore. So I am um, currently uh, I've I've done three books. I've do, I've done two books on uh, on on the Romans. I've done one on Julie, the age of Julius Caesar. Then I did one on on the age of the first emperors, which is. Caligula and Nero and all that crew and now I'm doing one on the kind of heyday of the Roman Empire which is um Pompeii the Colosseum uh, all that kind of stuff Hadrian um so that's what I'm doing at the moment
1: I can't believe I mean just just tilt your camera back up again all, all of those books behind you and you you tell me that you read pretty basically every word that's behind you there that's a very uh, impressive... every word maybe exaggeration but they, certainly they, they've all been used. they've all been used that's a pretty impressive library there and uh, it's uh, been a real pleasure to to meet you today, Tom. I wish you every success with taking that total up to as close to that target and beyond it as possible of 100,000. If you can give a talk, it's uk forward slash Tom Holland. And I'll stick that on the uh, podcast text as well so that people can follow that link to uh, try and support you as well. Is is the walk the last of your um, initiatives this year? Have you got anything else to do? I haven't decided. Um, We're
0: we're working on that. So we're doing it with um, Matt Thacker, who I know you know who kind of Fixed all this and stuff. So there's, I think that there'll be more to come, but um, we're we're working on it because obviously 40 40 to go. It's kind of like we're running out of time. You know, the, the overs are ticking
1: away. The Duckworth-What are too late to hit 24 off the final over? <laughs> exactly. That's probably the lesson I should be drawing. Yes, okay. I mean you can think of some equivalent of 24 off the final over. But we're, we're working on it. Tom, it's been a pleasure. Wish you all the best for uh, your future endeavours, and uh, thank you very much indeed for joining me on today's Cricket Budget Podcast. Thanks ever so much for having me. Thanks a lot. Podcast Network.